Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves podcast. What's happening, Minnesota Timberwolves fandom? You are tuned in once again to the coach and the culture, Minnesota Timberwolves and Minnesota Hoops Culture, among others, podcast. I am Coach Frank Centuali, and I'm joined, as always, with my man, the super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop. What's happening, Coop? What's up, man? I'm in here. You in here, man? You, you sound like you got the Sunday drearies, bro. Oh, good. Oh, good. All right, because we need high level. He's like Sunday morning. He's like Sunday morning. All right, all right, Lionel Richie, Commodores, who love. The culture. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You know, old school, too. Like, man, I, 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 <laughs> hey, don't even get me off track. <laughs> I'm right. I know y'all didn't tune in to listen to us talk about the Commodores and Lionel Richie. You tuned in to hear us talk about the Wolves, and boy, they are uh, definitely keeping this offseason interesting, even if in, in an uninteresting way and uh today is no different we are recording this here sunday july 25th um about 8 p.m which means earlier today uh it was announced by Woj and then everybody else on twitter that the wolves re-signed nas reed to a three-year deal worth 42 million dollars with the player option on the third year so we're going to talk a little bit about that nas reed's his role um, or what his role could look like or what I think it should look like, how I would do it, uh, how I would model it if I were uh, Coach Finch. Um, and then also uh, want to parlay that conversation into a little conversation about the Wolves' developmental program as a whole. Um, you know, Nas Reed is kind of in that first class with the Rosas developmental program, I'd like to say, Rosas and the Finch and the Connolly here um, in terms of, uh, finding an undrafted player, finding those second round players, um, giving them what, uh, they like to call on Twitter. I think, uh, Dane, uh, Moore on the Dane Moore's NBA podcast calls it the, the, the Sashin Goop just special, right? Those, those four year minimum contracts where you, you got a rookie player that you really put into your program and you develop him. And Nas Reed is kind of the poster child for that. So we can talk a little bit about what that, uh, says for <clears throat> those following that path and following in those footsteps that Nas Reed has uh, laid out. And then uh, from there, we're going to talk about this year's draft because I think that's a perfect segue into this year's draft and uh, what the Timberwolves did on draft night and the two players that they selected um, trading um, two second round picks to move up in the draft to uh, the number 33 to get Leonard Miller and then their own pick at 53 Jalen Clark out of UCLA. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about kind of what Nas's read pathway to his multi-million dollar, um, you know, over $10 million a year, 13, 14 and $15 million a year, potentially contract from a player that was an undrafted free agent playing on a minimum contract for essentially four years. So, um, a little bit about that. And then we can't really have a podcast without, uh, getting into Ant and Cat, of course. Um, 
because uh, we didn't get to it last pod, and I and I wanted to talk a little bit about Ant playing for Team USA, what that can mean for Ant's development, as well as what that could mean for the relationship between he and Cat, and then therefore, as long as both he and Cat are on the team, which you know Ant's not going anywhere, and Chris Finch and Tim Kiley have basically sent the signals that Cat isn't going anywhere either. So what that really means for this team as they kind of are officially in run it back mode now. I know uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is still a question mark as to what's going to happen with him. And Torian Prince might kind of um, be um odd man out potentially um, with the new Nas Reed signing. But essentially, they're, they're running it back with their top seven rotation players. So we'll talk a little bit about how um, they can be more competitive next year in what proves to be a more competitive West um, just a little bit because that's going to be a conversation all summer as more moves are made. So you're listening to the Coach and the Culture podcast. We're going to try to cover a lot, but succinctly and in a short amount of time, I'm Coach Frank Centuale. They call me Coach Frank. And uh, yeah, again, we have the producer uh, Lloyd Coop, who always makes it sound good by the time it hits your podcast uh, waves and your speakers. So let's start from the beginning, Coop. Let's go. Uh, let's let's go with Nas Reed, man. Today, forty-two million dollars, three years. Um, it's projected to be thirteen million year one, which would be next season. Fourteen million the year after that, and then an option year for fifteen million for Nas Reed. Um, you know there was talk that the Wolves were hoping to sign him for around twelve and a half ish, somewhere around twelve thirteen range. Nas was, you know, hoping that he could maybe even get a team that could offer him a, a combination of things he really wanted. Um, I had even heard um, um, that uh, Howard Beck, I believe, on Ben Beacon's show, um, Locked On Wolves, uh, about a month ago, said that he felt like Nas could command as much as fifteen million. On the open market, of course, the new collective bargaining agreement um, definitely probably played a role in what Nas could get from other teams. And then, you know, Nas weighing the money, the situation, all of that. And he decided to uh, apparently agree to stay with the Wolves even before free agency officially opens. Uh, I believe that that's next week. So Nas Reed is back. Um they are big, heavy uh, on the team and big, heavy in the pocketbooks. Um, I like this move. Uh, Twitter, Timberwolves Twitter, Coop, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but, bro, man, you would have think they signed, re-signed Kevin Durant or something the way Timberwolves Twitter, <laughs> excuse me, is acting, man. They uh, People are going nuts all over Nasri coming back. It's It's, you know, I think, it's one of those stories that especially I think here in Minnesota um, that people gravitate toward, um, you know, again, undrafted free agent from, you know, a five-star blue chip McDonald's All-America rough year at LSU. Uh, you know, Gerstein Rosa signs him to kind of a, 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 a deal that would allow him to be in one program and develop and grow. And Nas Reed has put the work in. He's worked on his body. Anybody who's ever tried to transform their body knows that that alone was just immense work. Um, I think he's always had talent and he was always very young. You know, we go back to I, the conversation I have time and time again about how quickly we judge these guys that are 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, Nas still 23. 
And, you know, much to his credit, he put in the time, he put in the work, um, he put in the extra work, maybe even the extra, extra work. And he gets rewarded, man, with uh, the opportunity that can, you know, kind of have that first phase of setting up his family for generations, man. He's going to, you know, gross over $13 million a year for at least the next two years, at least the next three years minimum. So, you know, kudos to Nas Reed. Um, a lot of people were wondering where he gets his playing time, how this all works with Rudy and Kat and Nas. And I haven't heard it mentioned anywhere else, which isn't to say that it hasn't been, but I've been curious because looking at it the way I would look at it as a coach. Um, and yes, that's a lot of money tied up into three guys that are all technically bigs, but you know, I feel like both Nas and Kat are kind of tweeners. Um, and so, um, you know, but the, the reality is I looked at it and I said, you know, OG Bobby Portis, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks, um, crazy eyes <laughs> is, uh, is, um, you know, was, was probably, I believe before some injury stuff last year on path to maybe be the NBA six man of the year. Right. Um, he's definitely in the running. And you look at his role on Milwaukee and he plays, uh, he comes off the bench. He plays four. Um, he plays five or some small ball five. He can play next to Giannis. He can play next to Brooke Lopez. Um, and he gives you, you know, he's not the exact same type of player that Nas is, but I would venture to say that Nas is developing into a more impactful offensive player than Bobby Portis at um, this stage um, with a lot of upside, I believe, and Nas still to go. Again, he's only 23 years old, and we like to keep talking about, you know, NBA players don't reach their prime till 27, 28 years old. So if Cat is just going in his prime, Nas is closer to the Ant and Jaden window in terms of getting into his prime, prime than, uh, than anything else. And uh, Bobby Porter's averaged 26 minutes a game with Milwaukee last year, Coop. Um, and I, before the signing today, um, when we were scheduling for today's podcast, and I wanted to talk about, you know, if the Wolves can offer Nas Reed $26 million and point toward Bobby Portis's role in Milwaukee, I Tom's $26 million, excuse me, 26 minutes a game. Um, I'm sure Nas would love $26 million a year. Um, 26 minutes for a game um, and and um, kind of point toward Bobby Portis's role in Milwaukee and say, this is where we can find you those minutes. We can find you those minutes. Um, obviously, if Cat and or Rudy is in foul trouble, we can find you those minutes, you know, as basically essentially a sixth, seventh man um, where you're going to pretty much get the responsibility of holding down the four and the five position off the bench um, and in combination with either of the other two starters, um, you know, because Cat can slide over to five and Nas can play to four. I know the numbers haven't been great on that, but uh, I think continuity can help with that um, within other players. Um, and then, and then, you know, I think anybody can kind of play with Rudy um, between Cat and Nas, if they can develop that continuity because they don't really occupy the same space. And Nas's game is very quick reaction, right? Um, and so I can see where you can find those 26 minutes, especially if you're looking at a player like Kyle Anderson, who played a lot of minutes last year, who dealt with some back issues last year. Obviously, he's coming off the freak accident with the eye stuff, but I'm sure he'll be fine 
for that. But, you know, Kyle Anderson's, um, you know, in his prime, I, I you know, and, and, and maybe after a lot of usage and a lot of minutes, um, they not only want to decrease his minutes a little bit, at least during the regular season and try to keep him healthy and let a younger Nas Reed get some of those minutes. Um, but also maybe move Kyle Anderson into more of a, um, uh, uh, like a, uh, a point small forward, almost like that Scottie Pippen role in terms of like that small forward that brings the ball up the court, uh, with the second unit, especially since they don't really have right now what we would say is a true backup point guard, um, outside of Jordan McLaughlin. And we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Coop, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling like, you know, Nas, they, they probably, you know, potentially said, you know, we can get you 25, 26 minutes a night and we can meet somewhere in between our 12 and a half, 13 and your, you know, 15. And I feel like maybe they came out with a deal that's good for everybody. Uh, you know, a lot of people are saying this means cats as good as gone. And I just don't think you can really predict what's going to happen. Um, and I think the Wolves have kind of made the point we're going to let next year figure itself out next year. But this year, what they've absolutely decided to do is bring back their top seven rotation guys. Um, and, you know, that and yes, they're going to have some financial questions they're going to have to ask down the line. But I think that we're going to also get some of those question answered questions answered as maybe we start to see also a little bit more Josh Minot role. Window more role this year um, at, at the three spot, uh, that hybrid three, four, maybe for Minot, but more so at the three spot as, again, they probably try to load manage Kyle Anderson a little bit. And then window more at that, at that, um, you know, backup point guard spot. He's got a, a season essentially to kind of show that he can, he can, take on that that role and do it confidently and do it, um, you know, with some competence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that leads us into uh, what Nas Reed really represents in a lot of ways, and that is the strength, I think, of the Timberwolves developmental program, which is something that, you know, I don't think has always been a strength. Um, you know, it's well known the number of players, uh, Stephen Curry at the top of that list, whose families or whose agents said, don't, don't draft us. We don't want to go to Minnesota. And a lot of that was because of the dysfunction that seemed to consistently cloud over this franchise from a management standpoint. Uh, but, you know, for Rosas's shortcoming, uh, pun intended, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it seems as though he had an idea for how to lay out a developmental program that would work in this market. And Nas Reed, um, I think, you know, if you would like to consider this contract a graduation from that program, Nas Reed, I think, is the is the poster child for the graduation from that program. Um, and to a lesser extent, Jalen Noel as well. But Jalen Noel is also kind of, you know, more of an example of if you show you can excel in this program, you're going to get your shot. Nas Reed is an example of, you know, I didn't miss my shot, so to speak. Um, And so that bodes well, I think, for guys uh, like Wendell Moore Jr. and Josh Minot when you are trying to establish trust 
with these guys that you're bringing in as second rounders. Um, I know Wendell Moore was a late first rounder, but you know, these guys that you're bringing in as second rounders or undrafted free agents that, you know, our program can work for you and can get you the type of NBA stability and recognition and career path that you want for yourself, not being a first round draft pick or a high draft pick. Look at Nas Reed. This is the work he put in. This is the people he worked with. This is the time he spent around the um, the campus, so to speak, um, the, the athletic facilities all summers um, for a number of years, putting in that work, improving his game. This is the work he put in on his body and look at the fruits of his labor in our program. Um, and I think that helps sell that program to a Josh Minot on those days where he's wondering if, when he's going to get his shot, maybe even feeling like, man, I can get up there and I can do some things and I can earn my way in this league um, to be patient and to stick with the program. Um, and so having said that, I'm curious to see what summer league is going to look like for Wendell Moore Jr. Um, and for Josh Minot, you know, can Wendell Moore Jr. put some thoughts in the Wolves' heads that he can be kind of the point guard of the future? Um, yeah, I, I compared him last year to like maybe even if his ceiling is kind of that Mario Chalmers role on the Heat teams with uh, Le- LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh, kind of that defensive guy, knock down a big three when you least expect it, low usage, um, but, you know, can handle the ball and, and run an offense. Um, you know, um, and, and, you know, he's definitely going to have lots of athletic floor runners, even if he's in Iowa most of the time next year to show that he can be an assist creator, a low turnover, high assist guy and a defender. And of course he's got to knock down shots. So we'll see what he develops. And then I think Josh Minot, you know, who many people are high on, um, because of his athleticism and because he just kind of does those winning things, those rebounding block shots, offensive rebounding, running the floor hard as he develops his game. Um, you know, he can definitely look at Nas Reed and, and, and see where, man, if I can follow his path, improve my jump shooting, be a high energy guy, attack the basket, you know, be a, a high level defender, a pogo stick, uh, you know, that I can get my way up to the big club as I improve my skills in their program. So, you know, not only does Nas Reed signing to me signal continuity going into next year, signal more of the running it back, signal some um, positional insurance um, for whatever they decide to do with Rudy, Cat, and Nas. The reality is you have three what you think are um, quality big men that would be coveted as NBA talent by NBA teams and you know talent is also a commodity and the Timberwolves have a lot of it in that position and you know from that standpoint maybe have some flexibility if they need to make some moves to change the construct of the roster or the construct of how the roster is put together um, financially um, so yeah so that's my thoughts on Nas Reed and not only just not just Nas Reed but also um, how his signing maybe has a trickle down effect through the developmental program. And you know that this summer league with Minot and, and more and Nas's contract, um, all of that is kind of going to be an indictment on, you know, how the Wolves are developing players um, through their, through their organization. Um, and I think that's a great segue uh, now into the draft. Uh, 
You know, what, what did you think? Did you, did you, did you do any research? You know, I know the producer, you just kind of like, man, I'm busy with life, man. Put me behind some switchboards. Let me go. But uh, did you, did you do any research or watch any film on uh, um, Leonard Miller or Jalen Clark? No, no. Okay. You know, so, so I get to fill you in. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Leonard Miller uh, from the G League Ignite, uh, 19 year old kid. Um, which is interesting because I thought maybe the Wolves would go for somebody that could come in and help now, right? A a a senior maybe that was a sharpshooter in college that was kind of a catch-and-shoot guy, you know, um, older, more mature, ready to come in, be NBA-ready with a skill. In my perfect world, that skill would be shooting. Um but they they didn't. They traded up, and they got this 19-year-old kid. He's from Canada. Um, all the research and readings that I've done suggest that uh, he didn't have the stiffest competition in high school. Uh, came, uh, went to the to the draft process uh, year season before last as an 18-year-old um, and realized that he had a long way to go and ended up playing for the G League Ignite. Um, you know, I'm sure he's been by Timberwolves fans, so I'm not going to get too much into the me- into the into the measurables. But you know, six ten and nineteen, so there's a very good chance that you know, and a late grower, so there's a very good chance that six ten might end up being six eleven by this time next year. Um, uh, slender about about you know two fifteen ish, and uh, a project. Um, uh, handled the ball a lot in high school. Um, kind of one of those guys that was a guard and then grew really late. Um, and and you know the 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 review on him. A lot of uh, scouts, a lot of draft analysts had him going. You know, somewhere in the first round. Um, I think that maybe one of the reasons he fell out of the first round is because I think other teams did what I thought thought the Wolves might do, which is kind of pass over young raw project guys and get them players that they felt like could contribute to the NBA next season. Um, and so the Wolves, again, kind of like the Rudy Trey, seemed to zig a little bit when the rest of the league zagged uh, in, in that term. Uh, but I will tell you, from a coach's my eye, what I really liked about Leonard Miller when I watched him on on tape, right? And and this is looking at him from thinking about my my years as a player, um, you know, and, and college and just my years like being 19 and playing college basketball and, and looking at this kid as 19 playing out there with grown men, right, in the G League Ignite. And then um and then also from a coach, when I'm thinking of strategy and how you can utilize guys and what they do well and don't do well, um, and, and what they might have seen in this kid right away. Um, you know, I, he's a project. Um, he's somebody that I think, you know, if, again, if he puts in the same work that Nas Reed put in, he's going to be a monster, but you know, that's, you know, I like to say, if it was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. So time, time will tell, right? Look, <clears throat> looks like we got a lot of hype in. He's, he's 6'10", 210 is what they have. So yeah. 
Yeah, um, he's long. And and the first thing I put on my notes on watching um, film on him, and I watched some highlight tapes. I tried to watch a couple, you know, full game highlights and things like that. And I read a couple articles. There's one I had pulled up that was a really interesting article that was in uh, I want to say it was in a CBS uh, sports article. Yeah, uh, by um, James Herbert or Abear. I'm not sure which way it's pronounced. Uh, but uh, the article really seemed to speak to a really mature young man. But let, let me run down what I liked about him kind of in the order that I put it down. First thing I noticed, he likes to run. And that might seem like a simple thing. He's an NBA or, you know, he's a professional basketball player. Of course he likes to run. No, 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 no. Everybody doesn't like to run, right? right? Everybody, especially bigs, not all guys, 6'10", 6'11", want to get out and run, right? Um, And that's the first thing I noticed is that he's running every chance he gets. He's anticipating opportunities to run. And that that says a lot about uh, his motor. That says a lot about his um, understanding of what he does well, right? Um, And so, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, for all of his many gifts and skills, has never struck me as a player that likes to run up and down the floor, <laughs> you know, um, especially without the ball in his hands, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so, um, you know, when you got a player that knows that they might be a little raw in skill sets, but they're looking at how they can make up for what they lack in terms of polished or refined skills and still impact winning, Watching him get out and run, whether it was a rip and run with the rebound, whether it was a run after a turnover or anticipating um, his teammates getting a rebound and getting out early and running or even running from behind to fill a wing to get into a play. Um, You know, he seems to be a guy that likes to run and likes to run fast and likes to run hard. As a coach, I'm loving that. Give me guys that I don't have to motivate to get out and run. Right. Um, And so. Uh, the other thing I noticed, and this is a subtle thing, but watching his film, uh, he was an excellent rebounder. I believe something like 12 rebounds a game last year, um, which, uh, you know, he's not a bulky guy. So this speaks to the second thing that I immediately liked about him, which was he moves his feet to the ball. And that's something you look for as a coach. Um, do guys reach and lunge for the ball? Or do guys run to and run through the ball, whether it's a loose ball, whether it's a rebound, whether it's getting in position for a rebound? A couple of times I noticed on film, he was the first one to move when a shot went up, which means he's moving on the release, which seems like, yes, that's how you teach it to fifth graders. If you watch NBA basketball, heck, if you even watch college basketball, that's not how it works anymore. So many guys are so reliant upon their size and jumping ability and can get a rebound by putting their elbows over the rim that a lot of times they kind of stroll into the lane, wait for the ball to bounce and jump to it. And we know the Wolves, we saw that a million times last year, and it didn't work out too well for them on the defensive glass. So watching Leonard Miller move his feet to the ball, again, speaks to desire. It speaks to effort. It speaks to motor. It speaks to I am using my athleticism, my length, uh, my mobility, and my size um, to, to hit first to go first. Right. Um, and it's funny because I was thinking these things before I found this article, this, uh, article I was just telling you about on NBC or CBS sports. I'm sorry. And of course now I just lost the date on article cause I didn't hit a dang thing on my phone. 
Uh, uh, yes, here we go. Uh, there was a quote. Let's see if I can find it in the beginning of the. Oh, yes. He said uh, he told his teammates at the G League Ignite uh, or told uh, incoming high school teammates that might be uh, high school players that might be going to the G League Ignite. Ignite. His advice to them was um, basically you're, you're playing against grown men. Uh, the quote that I like is, so you can't let them go out and punk you. You got to fight back, punch them before they can hit you. As a coach, that's my guy. That's my guy. Put him on my team, right? There's a lot of things we can teach and develop. Right. But you can't de- teach and develop a guy that understands that, man, you got to hit first. And it's better to be the hitter than the hit E <laughs> every time. You know, that's that's what I that's what I tell my kids. That's what I'm teaching my daughter who's 10 years old and just picking up basketball now. I'm like, girl, there's going to be a hit E and there's going to be a hitter. And you want to be the hitter more than you get to do, more than you're the hit E. And watching uh, Leonard Miller on film, that's what I had seen to see. Now he's 6'10 and two probably played about 205, 210. So it ain't like he's hitting you with a lot, you know, but, but the fact that he's moving his feet first, the fact that he's getting to the position first, that he's tracking where the ball is going first. How many times we talk on this podcast about the Timberwolves being horrific at tracking the ball with their feet instead of their eyes, right? And so that stood out to me was watching him move his feet to go get balls and not take one step and lunge over or reach for a ball. Um, the third thing that I noticed uh, that caught me by pleasant surprises for a guy that still has a lot of polishing to do, uh, his highlight package showed finishes with both hands. He's a lefty, um, but he seemed to be pretty comfortable and pretty adept finishing around the paint with both hands. And, you know, we've seen with Anthony Edwards – how um, impactful Kyrie Irving, another one, but like, you know, um, we've seen with Anthony Edwards how impactful it can be to finish with your offhand to the point where teams literally force him to his strong hand now because he finishes with his left hand so much. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say that Leonard Miller finishes with his right hand as much as Ant does with his left hand, but his smoothness and comfortableness finishing with both hands um, is advanced level for somebody who's still got, you know, a lot of work to do on his game um his handle is left hand dominant but again we're talking about a guy who's 6'10 6'11 um but he's fluid with his handle uh he has ball control i i would venture to say just from watching him on film that he has a better handle right now at 19 and where he's at at his stage of development than Jaden mcdaniels had his first two if not you know yeah his first two professional years and you know i only i might even trust him more than Jaden mcdaniels in the open court handling the ball right now uh, just based off of what I've seen. So, um, you know, that's something that's going to serve him well in the long run. It's also going to be good for Ant in the long run if this guy can develop and get to that, uh, get get to the big club and, and earn some playing time. Because when you got a guy that can rip and run like that, think about what Lamar Odom did for Kobe Bryant, you know, where Kobe Bryant could just take off and Lamar Odom can rip and run and kick it up ahead to him. And Kobe can do his thing uh, in space, right? And so... um you know, that was that was something that I that I was impressed with. Um, uh, the fourth thing that I had uh, was confidence against his uh, his knocks, his critiques. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, the, the biggest knocks on him right now is his shot, um, his shot form and his 
shot from outside the arc, you know, his, his any, anything outside of 17 feet really um, is a work in progress. Uh, it's bad. Um, he seems to be a quick learner. He ended up only shooting 30% from the three-point line with the G League um, on only a couple attempts a game. But over the last 11, 12 games, I think he was shooting close to like 38, 39% from three. Um, overall, um, you know, the other thing this article talked about um, was, uh, and the article is Wolves Leonard Miller is the development story of G League Ignites Dreams, and he's just getting revved up by James Bear on CBS. I want to give uh, credit where that's due. Um, but one of the other things that was talked about was, his G League Ignite coach is talking about how they've never really seen somebody grow so much over the course of a season and get so much better to the point where he was a walking double double at the by the end of the season, uh, you know, putting up almost twenty and twelve, and in his last dozen dozen games or so. And so, you know, I don't know very many nineteen year olds that come into the league NBA shot ready. You know, Devin Booker comes to mind. Um, even Jamal Murray, who, you know, we see what he can do with a jump shot. Uh, he struggled right out the gate coming into the NBA with his shot. Um, just it's not something you see. You know, that's why the guys that come into the league and make an immediate impact as shooter are guys like Desmond Bain that were four-year players, you know, or guys that stuck around for three years in a red shirt year, you know, guys that – are NBA ready and that spent that time in college. Um, and, and, and so it always bothers me when people are like, Oh, well, the shot needs a lot of work as a high school coach. Uh, show me a 19 year old whose shot doesn't need a lot of work before it's NBA ready. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially a second round draft pick, you know, and we're not talking about a lottery pick here. Um, and so um, I'm encouraged by his growth. Uh, over the course of last year, that shows that he's coachable and it shows that he puts in the work. Uh, the other thing that is the knock on him is that his defense and understanding of defensive concepts leaves a lot to be desired. And Coop, again, name me an NBA player that was 19 years old, that was a second-round draft pick, that immediately came into the league and everybody was like, oh, man, this guy's going to be a great defender. You know, um, yeah, did Draymond come into the league as a defender? Yep, guess what? Draymond played four years at Michigan State. He wasn't 19 when he came into the league, right? Mm -hmm. And so it just bothers me when guys are like, well, these things are the biggest knocks and why he may have fallen. I can pretty much promise you that a lot of the guys that went in the top 15 in the draft, the knock on them in their first year is also going to be shot-making and defense. So, <laughs> you know, the 19-year-olds, you know, uh, so that's not something, again, that's, that's on the Wolves developmental system to show that, you know, we've developed a Nas Reed whose shot has come along, whose understanding of the game has come along, whose defense has gotten better and better every year over the course of four years to the point where we believe in it so much now that we are offering him $13 million a year on a team that is strapped for cash to keep him, you know, 14 million a year to keep him. So, um, you know, and then the fifth thing, um, um, is that I notice he plays with a sense of anticipation. And, uh, when I listened to him speak in an interview, uh, at the, at the combine, uh, he seems to have a self-awareness, uh, an understanding of how far he's got to go 
but also an understanding of how far he's come in a short amount of time and knowing the work that he put in to make that jump. Um, his work ethic seems to be a strength, not only just coming from his own mouth, but also from reading every article that I've read about him. Uh, they talked about how hard he worked and he seems to be extremely intelligent, right? Um, hit from su- suburbs in Canada. Uh, he's very well spoken. He seems to be very bright. He seems to have a professional mindset, like somebody who's going to come in, not a 19 year old kid, like, oh, I'm in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? We'll be woo. But he seems to be like, OK, you know, I I, I need my corner office. I need I need my office so I can you know, so I can cerebrally study. And then I need my, my, my lunch pail and my hard hat and get on the floor and put in the on court work to get better as well. And that's what you want. You know, that's what you want is guys that uh, if they're going to make it, they're going to they're going to have to be professionally composed and professionally intelligent and go about their work of getting better in a professional way. And that's not always something you're going to find in a 19 year old kid. Um, And so uh, all of those things, those five things were the five things that stuck out um, to me. Uh, I still think he's. You know, He's the type of player that maybe if he has a really good year uh, down in Iowa next year um, and in a really good summer league, not this summer, but next summer, uh, you can see him, you know, spending some time with the big club, uh, you know, in two years, uh, getting some garbage time minutes, earning his way. And, you know, I think in a, in a really good scenario, year three of his contract, He's kind of where Nas was, where he's in the rotation, you know, but as a 9, 10, 11 type guy. And, um, and, 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 uh, you know, by year four, he's the guy that you, that you're like, okay, he's a part of our future, you know, so, so, but, you know, if he works on his all around game, you know, I think Lamar Odom is a good cop, you know, he, he, he's, he seems to be the type of guy that can do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. and probably shouldn't be pigeonholed into saying, well, you just got to work on your jumper. You just got to work on your handles. You just got to work on your passing. You just got to get stronger. Um, but instead be a guy that if they're developing him correctly, they're going to develop all of that simultaneously. We're going to improve every bit of your skills and understanding of the game simultaneously um, because you can do a little bit of everything. And so we want to hone the development of a little bit of everything and not let any one thing kind of lag behind because we're not working on it um, because we feel like it's not as much of a priority as something else. So that's my take on Leonard Miller, man. Um, Jalen Clark uh, out of UCLA. Um, he's a kid that uh, tore his Achilles uh, and ended up missing the tournament run in March. And in my opinion, probably cost UCLA uh, a final four appearance. Um, not only was he the national defensive player of the year and Tim Conley said, he feels like we got the best wing defender in the draft, but he also seemed to be kind of a glue guy and his presence on the floor and the things that he did on the floor kind of allowed everybody else to just do what they do well for that team to click. And, you know, I think his, his presence was sorely missed when they lost to Gonzaga in the tournament. Um, And so he won't be playing likely at all 
um, next year as he rehabs and recovers. I don't know why they would rush it. That you know, if I were them, I would keep him out for the entire season, um, even even after he gets healthy, because he probably won't even be cleared to play basketball till like March, April. And by that point in time, it's a wrap, right? So, um, for for the G season, um, defense is there. I, I think everybody agrees that he probably has NBA ready defense right now. Um, again, you know, he also like, like, um, Miller has a shot that mechanically could use some work. Um, and one of the things is when you're rehabbing a, a foot injury and you can't really cut and you can't really, um, you know, be explosive, especially an Achilles injury. Um, until they clear you to, right? You can only do little things in increments, but one thing you can always do is shoot. <laughs> you know, you can always shoot free throws. You can always, you know, shoot standstill 15 footers and, and, and work on form, work on what's wrong with your mechanics. You know, and he's got a mechanic, which is one that I hate. Oh my gosh. I hate when guys bring the ball across their body from left to right when they go into their shot. That drives me crazy. There have been some guys in the league that have been great shooters that have kind of done it that way, but it's it's irritating as hell to me. Um, you can out-rep it, right? You can out-rep the bad technique and become a, a, a proficient enough shooter, um, even prolific in some cases. Reggie Miller kind of reminds me of one who had a funky kind of left-to-right type release. Um, Kevin Martin's another one. Um, but... Um, um, and, and even, you know, to a certain extent, I think kind of the metal ball does. But but having said that, um, you know, we're also talking about second rounders, right? And so Minnesota gets really excited about these guys that that are second round picks. But let's be honest, making it in the NBA as a second round pick is, a, you know, it's, it's not the percentages aren't in your favor. So we have to be realistic about these players, but they do have some NBA things. Um, Jalen Clark, six, five, uh, can guard ones and twos and probably some threes, um, can, you know, uh, from a defensive standpoint, um, really gets after it, you know, play really, really hard. Um, you know, and when you have Ant on your team, in all honesty, when you have a player like Ant, um, you can look for these guys that, run the hell out of the floor that can rip and go that can rebound whatever that might not be great shooters obviously it's the nba you have to find shooting but you know i look at like and this isn't to compare ant to this player by any means but when you have a player that is that dynamic offensively when you look at what philadelphia did with Allen iverson and the year they somehow made it to the finals right with Matumbo, but Really, it was Allen Iverson and a bunch of defensive, tough-minded role players, and Dikembe Mutombo is the anchor, right? So, I don't know that that works the same way in today's game of space and pace and, you know, three-point shooting, but I get the idea that, you know, if you can put some guys that can really, really defend around Anthony Edwards, he can keep you in games, right? And then if you get some guys that can really defend and are gritty and tough and can knock down big-time shots, you know, you can you can do some things. So, it, so do you feel that this is this is it? That they are going to be a more defensive first. This is why they, you know, they they resign uh, weed, and then also um, who they drafted. 
No, he hide in in this this kid and he had an Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. They must have a lot of faith and trust in past performances, defensively at least. Very impressive. So it, the I Wolves mean, are going to be as talented as they are. The Wolves will be a defense first type team. I I do think what happened toward the end of the season and and um, really I think toward the end of the Denver series, um, it it was kind of height at its highest showcase for the personnel that they had was that this team started to take on a defensive identity. Um, and and if, even if you look at the draft of Josh Minot and Wendell Moore Jr., you say, you know, where do you look at these guys and you know that they can develop into NBA players? I would say it's the defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. Their development of their offensive ability has a lot to do with, you know, kind of what I started off talking about after talking about Nas Reed, which was the developmental program of, of the Timberwolves and how you develop these guys offensively. But I would say Wendell Moore Jr., Leonard Miller, Jalen Clark, and 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 um and Josh Minot, the common denominator in all four of those guys that they brought in, you know, more at the end of the first round and Minot and, and Clark and Miller as second rounders is that they have, in my opinion, the body type and the motor um, and the athleticism to be really good NBA defenders. Um, And I think that if you're going to have to rely on cheaper players to fill out your roster, um, which the Wolves are probably going to be in a position after this year where that's what they're going to have to do, I, if you have a player like Anthony Edwards, a player like you think Jaden McDaniel is going to develop into, um, and you know you're going to have, in all likelihood, you know, Rudy or Cat, and then you got an offensive player like Nas Reed, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, and a player with his offensive skills, um, if you can fill those guys out with effective, low-usage, impactful rebounders and defenders – um, and then play kind of an open court move, floor moving style. And, you know, ideally you're counting on Ant becoming one of the best finishers in the world, you know, in terms of closers, you know, fourth quarter closers. And so if you got guys that you're always in the game because everybody you're throwing out there has got a certain defensive acumen, um, and then you get down the stretch of games and you got a guy that can close games for you. You know, I, I give you a perfect case and example of a team that did that to a really high level. The Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. You know, who won more close games in the fourth quarter than the Miami Heat? Right. Just who's who they just got a bunch of tough minded, defensive, low usage, high impact guys um that that are gritty and tough and fight you and they stay in games and they stay plodding along with their identity. And then in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler kills you with a little help from Bam and maybe a couple dagger three point shots, right? From, from, from some role guys. And so you can see, you know, that type of, um, identity. And then again, you know, you're talking about filling out your roster with guys that you've developed or guys that, you know, you got on the cheap and, and, and developed, um, that had, some stuff that you saw that you said in our program two years from now, 
this player can help us in this way. And even if they never project to be a high-level offensive player, we have a high-usage, high-volume, elite-level offensive player already in our coffer in Anthony Edwards. Um, so, yeah, it's it's putting a lot of trust and faith in Ant uh, um, and Jaden going forward is what they're doing. But, um, you know, you can't knock it. You, you, you can't. You, 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 as a coach, I understand it, right? Develop me these guys that, you know, are going to rebound and run the floor and defend like crazy. Um, let's develop them into a serviceable catch and shoot players. Um, you know, because we, we got our, we got our big guys and you can't have too many big guys. I mean, a lot of teams are finding out too many big guys, you know, Denver didn't win with too many big guys. That may be the trend. I had thought that, um, Milwaukee, of course, they yeah. had hype. Uh, well, when I say big, I mean, yeah, I mean, when I say big, I don't mean big in size wise. I mean, in terms of like star caliber, right? Really? The, the, you know, you, you got to have, you got Denver didn't win with a whole bunch of stars. They right. run, they won with a superstar and an all-star and Jokic and Murray. And then a bunch of other guys playing their roles at an all-star level. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that team continuity. And you could almost kind of say the same for Milwaukee. I mean, yes, you got Lopez, Giannis, you know, but Giannis helped Lopez do what, you know, he does better than they, you know, they really wanted when they brought in Drew Holiday, um, you know, and Chris Middleton was healthy, right? But then outside of that, you know, you know, Bobby Portis was on with his third team, you know, um, definitely second team. Uh, you know, um, I believe Divincenzo was on that team. Like they, you know, they brought it. They had guys fulfill their roles. I mean, hell, Brent Forbes was knocking down threes in the playoffs for that championship Milwaukee team, right? Mm-hmm. So you got you had some guys, you know, that played their roles to high levels, um, and their roles were made easy because of Giannis, right? Um, and so, so that's kind of where I'm looking at, like when I look at this draft. Um, again, it's, uh, the onus is on the Wolves developmental program. Um, I like the players. Um, again, they're second rounders. So if both of these players turn out and become rotational players for a competitive, you know, contending or high level playoff team, it's an amazing draft to get two second rounders that end up in that position, you know, and, and by all accounts, Leonard Miller, and I can see it has the potential to be, you know, a starting NBA player, a problem actually because of his ability to handle the ball and his, his, the fact that he likes to run, the fact that he moves his feet to the ball, those, those things, you know, people are comparing him to Jared Vanderbilt, maybe because of motor, what have you, but he's bigger than Jared Vanderbilt. Well, you know, in terms of height, he's taller than Jared Vanderbilt. Um, I think a little bit smoother in the open court than Jared Vanderbilt. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, it took him three years, right? You know, so, um, really, really four years, three, you know, three years be, to be an impact. So if, if Miller can be on that same trajectory and, and have the same impact, but with his skill sets as Vanderbilt, you know, doing something. Um, so we, 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 Ended that segment in terms of talking about uh, the rookies, uh, the, the the new draft, um, kind of talking about how in the future, if they, you know, get developed, 
how you can see them kind of fitting around and and that leads me to uh something that I've been wanting to talk about um and and some things I heard last week kind of made me want to talk about it even more um and that's um and one playing on team USA for the upcoming world championships in August and then two um what that might say and do for Ant's role on the team next year and how that role relationship with Cat's role, I think, um, is still developing. And um, I don't think it's going to bump heads like some people think that the egos and Cat's ego and yada, 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 and they're going to be in Ant's way. And I just don't think that's the case. Um, and clearly the Wolves don't either, right, um, at least to this point. Um, I think Ant playing for Team USA is going to be great for Anthony Edwards. I wish, and and who knows, um, it uh, who the twelfth player is, but I wish that there was um, more veterans on the team. Right. So right now, eleven of the twelve uh, man roster for the USA. Uh, 2020 20, or 2023 FIBA Basketball World Cup is Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Pablo Banchero, and Ant, Tyrese Halliburton, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cam Johnson, Walker Kessler, interestingly enough, um, which speaks to the struggle to find an American center big that actually wants to play. Um, and then Bobby Portis, who we just mentioned, um, and Austin Reed, right? And, um, very young group. Obviously, what's happening in some level, because I believe the U.S. has already qualified for the Olympics, is it seems like they put together a young team as they kind of do a passing of the guard for um, from from the LeBron-led Team USA teams. Um, I know that there was talk that they really wanted Bam Adebayo to play on the team. I think that would be great for the team. The other player that they're trying to recruit as the 12th man is Joel Embiid, who's now a U.S. citizen. Um, I think that would be interesting. Um, I, on one hand, I understand why they need Embiid because there's so many big, grown men, giant-ass bodies on international teams. And right now, this team doesn't have one. You know, Walker Kessel's probably the biggest body, and he ain't grown man strength yet like some of these dudes. Um, so I can see them wanting Embiid. Um, I I have my questions about Embiid's leadership for a young team like that. Um, I feel like Bam Adebayo would be a better culture setter, but Bam Adebayo is also not a big center. And so you're still kind of in the same quandary as far as not having a really big center um, that can go uh, with some of these big, big grown men um, that are going to be on these international teams. But, um, I think when I look at this lineup, in my opinion, if I had to just pick out who's the best pure scorer, who would be best suited to play that Kobe Team USA role out of everybody here on this team, it would have to be Anthony Edwards. It would have to be Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, and so. I think for this this upcoming summer. Man, Ant has an opportunity to play with a lot of really, really great players and learn how to play five on five with players of that caliber and not be so 
isolation-centric, um, learning how to cut off the ball more, learning how to get out and transition better. Um, they're going to be playing for Steve Kerr, I believe. So, you know, that in and of itself is going to be a difference maker in terms of what type of system he puts in. I think all of those young guys are going to get a bit of an education. Um, and so I think that's going to be great for Ant. But I think that it's, you know, out of all of that group, it would not surprise me if Ant doesn't turn out to be the offensive alpha, right? And there's a lot of scoring in that group. But Ant's that guy that can probably create scoring for everybody else easier than anybody else maybe in the world, right? You put Ant around a bunch of great players and teach him how to be unselfish and make plays for your teammates um, and play that five-on-five. Yeah. I think he can be a bona fide problem. And, you know, if he comes out of this summer's world championships, the leader and kind of the face of team USA going forward, um, imagine what that's going to do for his confidence um, for the Timberwolves, right. Coming back after that experience. And hopefully, you know, they, they're not favored. So hopefully they go over there and he can lead them and they can upset and win a world championship. And then imagine what that does for his confidence. Um, So, I think that it's going to be great for him. Um, and then, you know, people say, well, how do we unlock Ant on a team with Cat and with Rudy, especially if Ant does do those things? Well, one, it's Ant's job to unlock himself um, along with help from Finch, right? Anytime that you're building your whole thing around one player and 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 it's all about that player solely, right, and you end up, to bring up the Allen Iverson and Philly situation, you know, Iverson's a perfect case in point of a guy who, um, when he was that alpha offensive guy, his team USA team did not do well, right? Surrounded by all of those other players because of how he plays, his style, right? And so um, it's going to be on Ant to unlock Ant. Um, but I think this upcoming season, Ant's going to have the ball in his hands most of the time. I think that's how he's going to learn to be a great winning player. Um, they were already putting the ball in his hands last year. So that already began game five against Denver ended with the ball in Ant's hands. Right. And so, and I think what Ant's going to discover, and I would love to, I hope Steve Kerr has this conversation with him because Steve Kerr played with Michael Jordan is that, you know, what Michael Jordan did that I think was subtle that a lot of people don't recognize is most of the time, Michael Jordan attacked and got his early in the shot clock in transition or secondary transition or in the last five seconds of the shot clock after they've run 15 seconds, 17 seconds of trying offense at you and everybody's moved, cut and touched the ball. And now we got to get it to Mike and everybody can anticipate there's a shot that's going to go up and start getting in rebounding position and all of that because Mike knew that, OK, my role is the out of my 30, I'm going to get, you know. I'm going to hit you early in the shot clock, early in games. I'm going to hit you at the end of shot clock, especially as the games get tighter down the stretch of games. And then I'm going to close games and be the greatest closer that ever lived. Right. And so um, I think Ant can kind of follow that blueprint because there's so much um, other players that need touches and need scoring opportunities on this team in those in-between times, um, the times in between early shot clock and late shot clock. Um you know, and as far as the cat thing, you know, and I know players say whatever, and cat's definitely one that you kind of got to just take what he says to a certain extent with a grain of salt because he says things in a quirky way. But 
many times Cat has said that he wants Ant to be great and he want and his job is to help Ant to be great. And he said that since Ant was a rookie, right? And that Ant I think Cat understands that Ant can take them where they need to go. I think it's really hard to impact um, you know, Jokic being the exception, playoff winning like that from a center or in Cat's case now power forward position. But when you have a wing that can dominate games, a guard wing that can dominate games, that can take you to the promised land. And so um, you know, um, I feel like the organization is, you know, Tim Conley's already said we're going to make all our decisions going forward with Ant Paramount, um, you know, Draymond Green on his podcast when the Rudy trade was made. Uh, and I agree with him, said the Rudy trade was all about Ant, you know, and feeling like Ant was ready right now, um, you know, and, um, it, you know, I think Conley's statement when he said what we're going to do going forward is we're going to build Paramount around Ant. Um, I think Conley's statement was a message to the locker room as much as it was to the media and the fans, right? He's, you know, this is the the president of basketball operations letting everybody know, like, you know, I hate using this term, but in a sense, this is Ant's team. So if you don't want to be on board with that, because he said that at the exit meeting, right? Season just ended the day before, two days before, whatever. He said that at the exit meeting. So he's saying right now, if you're not on board with this, we have the summer for you to make your voice known through the back channels and we can move on without you. Right. And I think most guys want to play with talent. And most of the guys were like, shoot, we're trying to stay here and play with Ant. You know, hence Nas Reed resigning today. Um, so um, and I and I did some some number searching. Now you gotta keep in mind, Ant's been in three years in the league, right? So these are his growth years. Right. And Cat and Ant, according to StatMuse, have played 145 games out of a possible 236 games since Ant's come into the league. So that means basically a season. Right. Over a season. Right. 90 game, 90, 89 games um, out of, you know, 82 is a full season. So over a full season. Cat and Ant have missed playing games together primarily due to cat being injured right so while edwards is figuring out the league figuring out where he fits in the league figuring out what he can do in the league figuring out how to win in the league because coach finch in his recent interview um i believe it was might have been on judd and Mackey, i can't remember um uh or maybe it was with kyle tyge um but he he said that you know at has never really done a lot of high-level winning in his life. He didn't win at Georgia. He didn't win, you know, a lot in high school. He wasn't, you know, that high school, you know, big league, big school state tournament champion. Um, So Ant's learning on the fly, and the guy that is, you know, the all-NBA guy who they're trying to pair him with, um, they haven't – they've missed a whole season out of the three – Ant's first three seasons. Right, right. While while Ant figures it out. Oh, by the way, in those three seasons, he's been Ant's been in the playoffs twice. Right. So two of your first three years, you're in the playoffs. Your your team's big gun. You've missed a whole season worth of games playing with um, as you're trying to figure it out. And you and, and you've gotten a chance to play high level, high intensity playoff games twice. And as for Ant's case, has excelled both times. Right. And so him and Jaden, these kids are learning and developing and figuring out how to play five-on-five NBA winning team ball 
on the fly. And oh, by the way, getting a chance to do it in a playoff atmosphere. So, you know, when people are talking all this, we got to trade cat, trade cat, trade cat. It's like, you know, they're talking about trade cat uh, for the number three overall pick and yada, yada, yada. Um, You know, and I'm like, Timberwolves fans have to, you know, you guys got to be honest. Are you trying to win games or do you just want excitement? Because, yeah, and and, and school probably would have been exciting, you know, but it's not as exciting as winning to me. And I feel like Ann and Kat and Rudy and company are ready to go win games next year if they can stay healthy, right, um, and have a whole summer of continuity and have a whole year of continuity. You know, um, do we want to go back to the wait for it days, the potentials there, we just need these young guys to grow up? Or are we trying to continue what Finch has been doing, um, which is trying to set a winning culture and say this is how you win in this league so that all the young guys that follow up behind Cat and Rudy and them um, have been groomed by Ant that, you know, this is how we do things here that make us successful, i.e. the Miami culture, right? Um, And so fans got to be honest about what, they want and and be realistic because trading cat does not make your team better. I don't give a damn. Trading cat doesn't make you better next year unless you trade him for. I can't. I'm trying to think right now. Like, because the players I want to mention are all just as injury prone. I was gonna say like Anthony Davis. Do you ever know if he's gonna be playing? Uh, you know, like like you know who do you, who do you trade cat for? You know. That that another team is willing to give up, right? Mm-hmm. That make the Timberwolves better, you know, right? And trading him for a, for a rookie is definitely not the answer, you know. So, um, so the Timberwolves fans got to be honest about what they want. Do they just want exciting basketball, or do they want a team that is going to the playoffs for a third year in a row next year? You know, and maybe finally doing some damage if they can get the stars to a line where they're healthy most of the season and healthy going into the playoffs with their full complement of players and see where it let the chips fall where they may and not worry about, you know, the financial situation. Because guess what? None of that money's coming out of our pockets. <laughs> if the Timberwolves want to go into the second level of the luxury tax, you know, guess who's not? <laughs> guess who's not writing the checks? So, yo. If they kill next year and they get to the Western Conference Finals, fuck it. It ain't my money. Well, shit. <laughs> Run that shit back again and see if we can get to the finals and win one. Right, you go. know? Um, and so fans got to be realistic about what it is they want, you know, because the Timberwolves have talent. And, you know, I look at it as a coach. When I look at that team, I say, well, you know, the hardest thing to collect is elite talent. You know, and the Timberwolves are trying to put the best talent on the floor and they're trying to win. And if you're going to be honest about the talent when they're playing comfortable and at their maximum, you know, because I think comfort matters. And we all, we keep talking about it. We talked about it all last podcast, how styles matter. You have to find your winning style. But in a winning style, if they can find their rhythm, Rudy's been all NBA. Been defensive player of the year. Cat's been all NBA. Unarguably one of the best offensive bigs in the game today for years running now. Jaden McDaniels has probably missed the last 
NBA all defensive team he's ever going to miss and barring injury, right? Anthony Edwards just made an all-star and probably the first of many, right? He's, you know, those two are still going up. And then Mike Conley has been an NBA all-star. So four of your five starting lineup has been an all-star at one point in time. Two of them have been all NBA. And the fifth one probably could have been all defensive last year and probably will be all defensive next year. And by the way, he's 22 years old. And then we saw what Kyle Anderson means to the team as your sixth man. And now you just brought back Nas Reed. They have a lot of talent. And that seven players, their top seven, we like to say Denver pretty much played eight and height, eight and a half. Man, they have size. You know, they could probably use some more shooting. But again, a lot of that is dependent upon Cat, you know, being healthy. Because all of a sudden in that seven, you're not missing shooting at all if Cat's healthy. You know, um, everybody in that group last year, you know, everybody in that group pretty much is league average or better at the three outside of, you know, Rudy, who's not going to take any. Conley's better than league average. Ant's better than league average. McDaniels is better than league average. Cat's one of the all-time great shooting bigs. Um, Kyle Anderson last year on a low volume was well above league average. And Nas Reed is about average or just slightly below league average and still improving in that area. So, you know, you find your defensive identity, which I feel like they did last year um, toward the end of the season. Um, You know, and I think all of that is meant to build around Ant. Now you put the ball in Ant's hands. You know, you, 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 and you can't have playoff magic without being in the playoffs, right? And continuity takes time. So, you know, all the questions can't be answered until we see a cohesive team and see what that cohesive team looks like. Um, the Timberwolves have made um, the decision they're going to run it back. I think Ant plan for Team USA can go a long way toward um, – helping him reach another echelon, not only just in terms of his confidence on the floor, but the respect of his peers that, you know, not like he doesn't already have it, but also, man, he can has an opportunity to show that he can lead winning and an impact winning on the world stage. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be a part of a young team and be that guy that is the difference for that young team on the world stage. Um, and then bring that back to the Wolves. So, you know, Cat made the silly comment when the Rudy Gobert trade went down that it's, you know, championship or bust or whatever that stupid shit he said was that Draymond Green laughed at. <laughs> but um, I am willing to say that because of the moves that they've made, and I'm assuming that they're true to their word and not going to trade Cat unless something crazy happens and they trade Cat for an equal value player, which I can't see. Um, running it back should mean they make the conference finals or bust. I think that, um, with the decision that they're making, they're making a team, they're making a decision that they feel like they should win two playoff series next year. And I feel like that should be the standard that if they're healthy, they should be held to. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I fall on, you know, the whole run it back mentality is like, okay. You got your top seven rotational players back. Might even, you know, if Nikhil Alexander-Walker comes back, which 
you know, I think he's capable and he did initiate offense. And I think he's capable of kind of being um, a backup point guard in com- by committee along with Kyle Anderson. Um, and also, you know, kind of Nasri likes to rip and run. Like if you can build that second unit, maybe Wendell Moore, um, maybe bring back Jordan McLaughlin on a minimum and wave Torian Prince. I think Torian's probably going to be the odd man out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Josh Minot's going to slip into that role, be uh, executing it differently, not being the shooter Prince is, but, but slipping into that role. I still think then they got to go find a shooter. I think they got to find a shooter from somewhere. Um, but yeah, man, I think that if they're running it back, you're bringing back your top seven players. What you're saying is that, you know, with health and continuity, we feel like this team was a top four seed last year. That's not an unrealistic way to look at things. Again, when you consider Cat missed 52 games and they missed being a top four seed by four games, you have to assume that the West isn't going to be as stacked kind of all in the middle as it was last year. But you can't assume that it won't be because everybody's getting a little better. People say, well, you know, how are the Wolves getting better? I think the Wolves are getting better by staying pat, by counting on continuity, by counting on Cat being healthy, by counting on having a whole offseason and year into this system. Um, and and they feel like they have elite talent. You know, we as fans, you go, well, man, Phoenix has got – Durant and Beal and Booker and whoa, who's going to deal with them? And you know, the Clippers, what if Kawhi and PG are healthy and the Lakers got LeBron and AD? But what we don't look at it is, man, you got to say, man, the Timberwolves are running out there. Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. Like, you know, all-star, all-star, all-NBA, all-NBA. Other teams, if this team gels and plays well together, what other teams and other fan bases are going to be looking at going, man, if Mike Conley's healthy for, you know, three quarters of the season and the ending part of the season, and if Ant takes another leap, you know, and Jaden takes another leap and Cat returns healthy and Rudy gets back in, you know, mobility shape and is healthy, teams are going to have to look at, like, you can't take away what people have accomplished. Rudy's accomplished all NBA, all defense, defensive player of the year. Cat's accomplished all NBA, 24 and 10. Ant's accomplished being an all-star and, you know, he's on the USA World uh, 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 Olympic, you know, basketball program. He's on the USA World Championship team. You know, Mike Conley has been an all-star and he's, you know, still got still got some, some gas in the tank. So... Um, you know, other teams are going to look at God damn, maybe that Timberwolves team's a little better than we thought, you know, if these guys gelling can play to their potential. Um, and you don't have to be afraid of a LeBron and AD, you know, you can beat those guys. You don't have to be afraid of a Durant and Booker and, and Bill, because you know, you can beat those guys, right? Uh, again, beating the top teams in the league was not the Timberwolves problem last year. You know, they have one of the better records in the league, mm-hmm. even with Cat's injury. Mm-hmm. Even with having D-Lo three quarters of the season and whatever dysfunction that might have caused. Um, they still had one of the better records in the league against the top teams in the league. It was the, you know, 
the bottom feeders games that they lost that killed their 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 draft positioning. So we can't look at these moves these other guys are making for these names that we've been so familiar with all these years and not recognize. The Timberwolves got some names we've been familiar with all these years on their roster. Mm-hmm. You know? So um you know, I'd say yeah, if if they go into the playoffs healthy and they don't make the Western Conference Finals, then yeah. Yeah, that that then then somebody big getting traded. For sure. You know, if they go into the all-star break and they're in the middle of the pack and the right trade presents itself, I can see somebody like a cat or Rudy being traded. But I, you know, I I feel more optimistic about this team going into next year than I did going into last year. And if you remember last year, I did give them, I think I said 48, 49 wins was my prediction, but I was hesitant. My biggest reason was maturity. Um, Again, we talked about this on previous pods. I feel like that's been so driven home now that for them to come out next year and lose games in an immature fashion or to approach games in an immature way um, is just the definition of insanity. Now, now, now you got to worry about aptitude. Like, wait a minute. Uh, these guys, you know, now, now you're concerned about intelligence quote show like come on man how many times you gonna step into the same damn hole in the same damn street mm-hmm. you know so um i i you know tim kindly used the words i like the way the program is trending um when i look at the Nas Reed signing i think that's an upward trend and and a, and a feather in the cap for the developmental program and what it can do to inspire these guys um that were last year's uh picks and this previous drafts uh, this year's picks, um, I think they have stability and continuity. Um, we'll see what they do to round out the roster, but I, I I think they are trending in a positive direction as well. So that's kind of my take on a whole number of things. I know we went a little bit over an hour, uh, but we covered a lot. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, so now free agency begins is the next thing, right? And then Summer League, and, you know, we'll have to maybe do a pod. Um, uh, I'm out of the town next week, and we'll have to do a pod maybe in about 15 days or so or maybe right right after uh, right after Summer League starts because I am curious to see what Wendell Moore Jr. looks like in Summer League. I'm curious to see what Josh Minot looks like in Summer League. I'm curious to see what Leonard Miller looks like in Summer League. Um and and uh and I, I'm curious to see if the uh I'm drawing a drawing a blank, but the the young man that they have stashed over in Europe, uh was it Spagnolo, uh to see see if he plays summer league and see what he might look like. So that's uh that's 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 our conversation for the next pod, man. And we get we it's about time for a guest, so let's figure out who we're gonna have special for the people. Sounds good. All right. All right. Enjoy it. You have been listening to the Coach and the Culture podcast, speaking lots of Timberwolves, and uh, it's going to be that way uh, as we build this thing up. Thank you for staying with us. I am Coach Franks and Twally. We got uh, Super Producer Coop, <laughs> yes, uh, the Lloyd Coop in the building, and hope you were listening. Please, as always, hit us up um, at Coach Crooner still on Twitter until we can get that fixed. Um, but you can go to the coach, the coach and the culture podcast on Twitter and leave some feedback. Um, you can also 
hit up the coach and the culture on Facebook and, and, and messenger there and leave some feedback. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to make it better, continue growing. Let us know what you thought about the basketball conversation. Let us know what you think about ways we can improve the podcast and, uh, let's grow together. Timberwolves fans and Minnesota sports culture fans. I have coach Frank. That's cool. Peace.